Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. I am Warren Munson, the host of the podcast, where founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders and experts from a variety of sectors are interviewed to explore the link between personal and business success. In line with Evolve's principles, we also look at the importance of personal development, accountability and collaborative support in the pursuit of meaningful success. Through the insights of our guests, as well as my own business journey, the aim is to inspire you, the listener, to become better in life and in business. Welcome to this week's episode. Today I'm talking with Claire Galley, CEO of Lewis Manning Hospice Care. Claire has a vast amount of leadership experience in the charity and fundraising sector, having worked for a number of cancer care organisations from as far back as 1994. Claire's route into the sector is somewhat unusual as she has a degree in chemistry, but from the very beginning she always wanted to work for organisations that reflected her values and compassion. Claire took the reins at Lewis Manning in early 2019, leading the charity through transformation. Of course, a year later the pandemic arrived and as we know, the care sector was particularly hard hit. There is so much I want to ask Claire about her leadership during this time, about all of the things that drove her to become so immersed in the care sector and of course about the courage it takes to work in such a difficult and emotionally trying environment. So in today's podcast, Claire talks about the leading change in an emotionally charged organisation. We needed to change. And I think that it's just so important that when you're doing that, not everybody is going to agree with you, but at least if they have the opportunity to understand the reasoning and to challenge it, then you get that dialogue going. Reveals the most difficult aspect about working in the care sector. I think the hardest thing is time, because our nurses have to have the time to spend with patients. Our counsellors have to have the time to spend with patients. And tells a poignant story that reflects the core reasons for the work that she does. Last week, he was able to put his wedding ring back on, which was the first time he'd done that in over a year after his cancer treatment. However, before we start the conversation, I'd like to direct you to an article on the Evolve website that I really enjoyed this week. As you might know, I'm a keen cyclist, some might say somewhat fanatical. And of course, the Tour de France is now entering its second week and I'm watching with keen interest. In recognition of the tour, a content man and also a keen cyclist at Evolve, Oliver, has written a piece entitled Five Ways the Tour de France is like running your own business. It's a really great article and whether you're a cycling fan or not, I suggest you take a look. And of course, you can find that article at evolvemembers.com. On going to the website, evolvemembers.com, you'll also be able to find details of our leaders lunch in October, our business festival in November, of course, with together with details of our coaching services, peer groups, our peer network program, and all the other services offered by Evolve. Of course, if you're enjoying the podcast and content, then you can also go to the website just to stay in touch with us. You can simply sign up for free on the website to be part of our community. But for now, let's get on with the show. Hello, welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. It's great to have you as a guest. And I suppose should start, Claire, with, just for our listeners, please do tell us a little bit about Lewis Manning Hospice Care, the charity you lead as the CEO. 
Thank you. So, um, yeah, Lewis Manning Hospice Care has been going for about 28 years, um, covering East Dorset and the Purbex, and really supplying and supporting patients with life-limiting illness and patients at the end of their life in that area. Um, I think the most important thing that we do is to listen to what matters to our patients and try and fill those gaps for them. Um, and of course, during the pandemic, that's been quite tricky mm-hmm. because people haven't been able to meet face to face so much. Yeah. But as a charity, our clinical team, our nurses and our HCAs, our bereavement support workers, all of the staff are working to one goal, which is completely around about supporting what matters to the patient and their family in the area. Great. And we will, I've got some questions around kind of the pandemic and how that's affected you. But going back to a little bit about yourself, so you... As I understand it, left with a bachelor's degree in chemistry, of yes, all things. Yes, um, Went into the sort of outside world and you started to work as a regional fundraiser, early 90s, uh, for Macmillan Cancer Care, then went on to work for Cancer Research UK, some other cancer sort of foundations before becoming CEO at Lewis Manning. Um, so the obvious question that sparked my interest was having that background quite academic quite chemistry driven what drove you to become involved and you know into the real world outside of academia into the hospice and cancer care sector yeah sure so to be honest i was a really terrible chemist (laughs) um i uh i worked um, i I did my degree and i at the same time as doing my degree i was working as well part-time Um, in a laboratory with test tubes and big, big pieces of equipment, mass spectrometers and things like that. Um, And I, although I enjoyed doing my degree and I enjoyed it because it was tough and it was hard. And at the time they said it was one of the hardest degrees to do, which is partly why I chose to do it. Okay. Um, I was a really, really rubbish chemist in the (laughs) lab. Um, I found it a bit boring. Um, And... I used to spend quite a lot of time chatting to people. Um, And so I think that um, they very quickly moved me into sort of marketing um, for that um, organisation because, well, I was just happier there, really. More of a natural there than in the lab. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And I think um, after I I finished my degree, um, I really wanted to do... I think I'd learnt by then that for me to get up and get going in the morning and to be able to be comfortable myself, I needed to do something that I could be completely passionate about. And so we'd had a lot of cancer in our family. Um, And one of the things that... I mean, I didn't even know working for a charity was a thing. I didn't think it was a job. Um, It seemed at the time that I joined, a lot of um, ex-military people were going into it as a sort of a retirement thing. Um, And then a friend of mine said to me, actually, Macmillan's a really great um, uh, charity. That's the National Macmillan Cancer Relief, as it was then. Um, And they've got a a job going for somebody to work alongside people and raise money. And I thought, oh, actually, that would really allow me to fit with me because I could do something really useful and chat to people. And something that you had a passion and an affinity to do some good in a sector. Actually, it's an interesting thing you say there because do you think there's a challenge for the charity sector even now with schools and universities not promoting it as a sector that you can go in and work to and perhaps just push pushing the one kind of commercial business Right. Yeah, no, I mean, certainly back in the day, um, I mean, we are talking about sort of 1987 at the time, I think it was somewhere around about there, um, or probably probably the early 90s. Um, 
it wasn't a thing really, but that you knew about. But I mean, Bournemouth University actually does some um, form of degree in in and in, 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 in sort of working um, and education in fundraising now. In fact, we have the fusion Bournemouth fusion students here okay. working alongside our fundraisers. Um, and it, it is much more um, accepted now, I think, and Professor Adrian Sargent does a fabulous course. There's lots of on offer there now. But it can be a career, actually, yeah. um, if you want something that ticks your values boxes, if you're that way inclined, but also something that involves marketing, yeah. um, influencing, yeah. and and doing something which touches your heart as well, I guess. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think in the roles in which I've fulfilled a trustee role for a number of charities, and you see that, you see actually that there isn't a lot of difference mm. in terms of the roles that need fulfilling within a charity as to there is in a commercial organisation, is there? No, absolutely. It's the same roles, it's just done with for a different purpose. Absolutely. And I think, you know, as a trustee, you're now being a volunteer. Yeah. Um, I think that's one of the one of the differences working in, 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 a, in a charitable sector um, is that we work with volunteers. And actually, what could be nicer than people who are doing it f- for many different reasons, but some of those are sort of to grow their own experience. Yeah. Some of those are to combat loneliness. Um, and to work alongside those sorts of people who've got the core of what they're doing, their charity, absolutely at their heart, that can make the culture and the environment that you work in a really happy place. No, definitely. I'm sure it does have some challenges and perhaps we'll cover those off as well <laughs> during the course of our conversation. And I suppose, but it does lead mainly into this a, a point that I wanted to discuss with you is, you know, where do you see there being a difference in the leadership though you know you're now ceo of the charity and you've had senior leadership positions before during uh, before joining lewis manning where do you see the differences perhaps in leading a business the leading a sort of charity or public or you know other entity in the third sort of sector well we're not here to make a profit no um and that's a big difference yeah we don't have shareholders um, but we have stakeholders, yeah. um, and our stakeholders are many and wide, from the Dorset Clinical Commissioners, who support us with contracts to provide the services we do, to our patients, their families, um, our donors, our volunteers. Um, I think that the concept of keeping those stakeholders involved, engaged and informed is not dissimilar no. to running a for-profit organisation. Um, but I think that... For us as a charity, we are even more driven towards our values Um, and our values in most charities that I've worked in and that I know of will have some kind of kind or compassionate Mm. element. And I'm not saying that businesses are not kind and compassionate, but they might not be at the core of their values necessarily. They might be other things. Yeah. Um, And I think that culturally, that's one of the things that actually charities and businesses should look to improve together Mm. Um, because in my view if you get the culture right and the values right whether you're in business or in charity then what you do is you keep your and retain good staff and attract good staff and whether you're a charity or not in most businesses your biggest expense is people yeah and so i think that's something that 
not just is it maybe a difference in business and in charity, but actually is something that charities could support and businesses could learn from. Yeah. Because if you if you if your biggest cost is your people, then those are the people that you need to be looking after. Absolutely. And developing and you know, it always makes me laugh when people say, you know, in a recession the first thing to get cut is a learning and development budget. Yeah. But hang on a minute, that's the thing that might engage people yeah. as well as salary, but engage people to stay with you. And if you lose good people, then it costs so much, so yeah. much money to recruit Cost them again. Cost of replacement and yeah. recruitment is so many organisations are now finding that perhaps took a sort of slave to the kind of people budget mm, and now they're needing to replace in a scarce market. It can be difficult, can't it? Indeed, indeed. It can. I, I suppose one of the things that I'm intrigued to understand more is obviously perhaps in if you're leading a business generally in the commercial world you have purpose you have some vision mission values you have all of those things and i can see how they're stronger so much stronger in a charity because the charity has a core charitable purpose and that's why everything else hangs off but generally therefore people come and join and work for that charity or they volunteer for that charity because you're still needing the volunteers i assume really as much as you are the employees but they come with emotion. They probably come with more emotion, emotional attachment to the charity than perhaps they do in the commercial world. Is that one of the challenges? And how do you overcome that? That maybe it's slightly more emotionally charged mm. in the charitable sector? Yes. Well, I mean, a number of our volunteers will have had patients who we've looked after who have died. Mm. And that makes them even more engaged with the organisation and more, not, well, not more important to us, but more, yeah, like, as you said, more attached. And I think the most important thing that we, we have to do, and as a charity, we're lucky that we can do this, is to have time. Mm. A lot of businesses will be pushing and pushing and pushing to move forward. We're not not pushing to move forward, but we, we have to make time to listen to people and to understand their motivations, especially when it comes to their volunteering motivations, so that we can understand them and place them in the right fit to volunteer. For instance, somebody who'd been recently bereaved, we probably wouldn't, well, we certainly wouldn't put in our bereavement team no. to work with our bereavement counsellors. So we need to be extra careful, and but I think that extra care comes from listening to those people and what their motivations are for coming to join us. Yeah, okay. But does that, and I can see that and I can understand that, but does that, when you want to then lead through change, yeah. and let's take an example, you, you're leading change. Yes. And I know the charity itself has been through sort of significant change and you've led through that process. Does that at times make it more difficult to go through a change management process than it perhaps would if you were driven by profit because you have got those people that are emotionally charged there is that sense and core purpose i wouldn't i'm not so sure it's so difficult it's more difficult but i do think it takes more thinking about okay um i mean when i started um at this this charity at lewis manning hospice care in february 19 um i was employed and my title was trans uh, transformational chief executive okay. i came to change and it was made clear to people that i came to make changes because the charity needed to make mm. changes to survive and to grow and to deliver the services that were needed in the area. And they were quite big changes, mm. um, but everybody was quite clear about where I was sat in that um, yeah. uh, position. This is the role you'd come to fulfil. To yeah. drive it through, yes, but to take people with you. Yeah. And I think um, you know, I've done, done a fair bit of change in, 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 in my life. 
um, in charities. And I think that there are many facets that you need to consider with it. Um, one of the things is really, really good communication. Because if people think you're hiding things from them, then they get twitchy. Yeah. And you can't always tell everybody everything. No. But that's what I told the staff and volunteers when I started on this. Okay. You will get from me honesty, which is so important. Yeah. I will be really direct. I will communicate as often as I can. And you will know what I know when I can share that information with you. Right. So being very transparent from yes. the start about how you're going to communicate and that you're going to do it honestly. Yes. Yeah. Because I think, you know, for the new girl coming in to an organisation that had been going for 20 plus years... Um, and, and, and with them knowing that change was going to come, because of the way the hospice sector works now, certainly, you know, with the changes that have come through COVID, um, but also the place the organisation was in and how it fitted in with the partnerships across Dorset, we needed to change. And I think that it's just so important that when you're doing that, not everybody is going to agree with you, but at least if they have the opportunity to understand the reasoning and to challenge it, yeah. then you get that dialogue going. Um, and just, you know, moving something from one place to another for the sake of it is just a waste of time and energy as far yeah. as I'm concerned. <laughs> um, but at least if, I'm, if, if we're going to do something, we try and do it together and we explain the reasons for doing it. Yeah. Okay, uh, that, that's a great way of leading and communicating and particularly in terms of change. I suppose, how do you deal with challenge then? Because obviously transformational CEO coming in, um, communicating openly, sharing, doing all of those things, but there would have been some individuals that would have challenged some of yeah. that thinking. And how does that, how did you go through that process? Because I think that does relate to both the business and Yes, completely. Sector. And I think what's important is, is, is that just because you have an idea doesn't mean that you can't flex on that idea. Um, so if you're going from A to B and you're drawing a straight line, challenge comes in, yeah. the way I like to think about it, and kind of gives you a bit of a zigzag. And maybe you don't end up getting to the place where you think you want to, to be yeah. in the way that you plan to get there. Yeah. But challenge is really helpful because... You know, that, that means that different people's brains are engaging with what you're looking to do. Yeah. And that that's helpful because actually somebody can come along and say, well, we did have somebody come along and say, actually, I know a really great architect who could come and help you with the development of your new building. Well, it wasn't exactly a challenge, but I actually did have somebody lined up. Right, somebody who um, had as a preferred yes, kind of... Yeah, yes, individual. and actually, this guy who's due in here this afternoon, actually, to the hospice to, to have a chat to me, um, came in and was amazing. He'd worked on developing hospitals. He'd built, you know, clinical CQC-inspected buildings before. I didn't have that. No. So actually, my guy, it was a case of thank you so much, but actually, somebody else has challenged me and said, what about this guy? And he's amazing. And, and it was just fabulous. Yeah. Now, it doesn't always work out like that, does no. it, in reality? <laughs> in reality, that's um, not... And that was a good story. But I think that without challenge, life would be, A, very boring... And, and B, we would never better ourselves. No. And, and that's important because actually we're here for the charity, not, not, not for any other reason. Yeah. We're here for the charity. Yeah. And how about development and bettering yourself? Because obviously in our own journeys as leaders of organisations, we need to grow, don't we? 
So how do you fulfill that kind of function so that you continue to grow and develop as a leader? Well, I've been involved in the Evolve yeah. um, uh, session, so thank you for that. Programs, yes, Indeed, uh, and that was that was wonderful experience, and also a great experience to meet other people and actually share some things that were worrying me, and they they again challenged yeah. and gave me new ideas. Um, in terms of you know my personal development, I think that we I'm really open to learning. I think we just learn every day, and when you're dealing with um, areas that you're not necessarily qualified in I'm not a nurse I'm not a medic then actually being around some of the team and some of the staff here allows you to learn new things each day I think you just have to be open to that because otherwise you just get stuck and and that would for me be a, a, a real problem that's not to say that having gone through so much change we we changed the services we remodeled the services then COVID came we had to change things again I am very keen and I think it's very sensible to have periods when people are doing the right things well and not change for change's sake. Yeah. And um, that's really important to our organisation because a lot of change has happened. Yes. So I'm really pleased that the board have actually taken the transitional bit out of my job title now. Yes, just just CEO now. Brilliant, fantastic. So the transformation has occurred. Yeah. I suppose you touched on it again there. The pandemic. I mean, how did the pandemic affect the delivery of the services by the charity, and how has it affected also, I suppose, the fundraising element, which must be a challenge. Yeah, so, um, you know, everything that we do is about people, Mm. and whether it's the patients or their families, and that happens face-to-face. So the pandemic came, and we went very early in terms of our change. Um, So by lockdown, we had the majority of what I call the back-end staff, uh, sort of, you know, the accountants and the the, um, uh, fundraisers working from home. Um, which allowed the hospice to see patients one-to-one when absolutely necessary. Um, Our clinics for cancer patients who have lymphedema had to continue because without that, the patients would have been in a significantly worse place. So the nursing team were very brave, actually, um, and our patients were very brave, and we saw them um, uh, where we needed to. We saw them face-to-face. We saw patients at home and we moved to a telephone service very quickly. But in my head, and I know when talking to others, I didn't feel that a telephone service was good enough. Because when you can't see patients, seeing patients makes a huge difference. And actually for our patients to see our nurses and our clinical team makes a huge difference to them. And one of the big things for our patients, and you were talking hundreds of people here, was loneliness. Mm. And they're vulnerable people at a vulnerable time. Absolutely. Going through a different spell in their life, aren't they? Completely. So we applied very early to the National Lottery to um, uh, fund us to create a virtual day hospice. And we were successful in that bid. Okay. So that allowed us to buy 100 tablet ipad type devices and we worked with our um, it suppliers who are another hospice actually in another um, county who provide um, our it support along with any tech solutions okay. um, chris palmer um, who, who's a great support to our charity and we developed a very very simple 
way that our patients could see our nurses. And that was for a volunteer to deliver an iPad type device into a patient's home, fully PPE'd, um, and uh, set the iPad up for them. It was switched on, it was charged up. There were three buttons to press. One was direct to our website. One was to Care Opinion, which is our evaluation tool that we work in partnership with Pool Hospital on. And the third one was for them to connect direct to their healthcare professional. So they press the button and they see their nurse or they see their clinician and they can talk and, and the clinician can see them. And it didn't matter that somebody was not IT literate it didn't matter that they didn't have broadband and it didn't matter that they didn't have a laptop or an iPad or a PC. And that was the bit that was important. There's a lot of hospices across the UK mm-hmm. doing virtual day hospice. We, Lewis Manning Hospice Care, is the only hospice that I know of in the UK who is delivering the devices to patients. Fantastic. What innovation. Yes. And what's really interesting is that we've delivered um, one-to-one clinical interventions. Yeah. We've done bereavement support. We've done group work, we've had drop-in sessions, choir, um, armchair exercise, we've done resilience and well-being and nutrition with one-to-one and now in groups. Okay. And we've just had the first, two weeks ago, we had the evaluation um, uh, through from, from the patients. And this came as a shock. I mean, I'm, I'm ever the eternal optimist, but this came as a real shock to me. I can see that in your personality. <laughs> <laughs> this came as a real shock to me. Um, 96% of the patients who'd had the service said that even when we can get back together face-to-face, we would like a blended service. We would like to use this virtual day hospice. And the main reason they gave was because they come into us or went into one of our hubs in Swanage, Wareham or Wimborne one day a week. With this service, there's four or five days a week of support that we can give them. Right. Which actually is quite sensible, isn't it? But it was still a big shock and, yeah. and we were really happy. <laughs> yeah, and that's interesting again because that reflects what's happening in the commercial world, is it? Yes. You know, that kind of virtual be meeting in the real life, real world, blended, and it's reflecting in what you're doing as well, which is great to see. And how did it, you know, I suppose the equivalent in the commercial world is sales to fundraising. Yes. Obviously, belts got tight, I assume, in terms of fundraising. What's happened in terms of fundraising in the charity? Well, our charity shops had to shut, Mm. as did many other charities, um, and, and obviously businesses, which was you know, distressing and, 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 and worrying for all of us, whether we're a charity or a business. Um, we ha- did have some additional funding from the government through okay. Hospice UK, um, but also our um, some of our key donors, we talked to them and they understood our situation and they supported us. Right. So today we're in a good financial position we need to raise money through events and through people coming together with coffee mornings and through our lottery um, to, 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 to work across the next 12 months. But um, we were delighted with the support that we received from trusts and foundations. 
um, and from key donors um, to our charity, which was which was amazing. And now our shops are back open again, and the fabulous thing we did this really 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 great thing, which everybody in the charity sort of got involved with. We opened up a drive-through donation station in the middle of COVID, okay. because we knew that everybody was sorting out their houses and yep. wardrobes and you know buying new settees and all that sort of thing. And um, the, the the people down at Tower Park um, said that we could park park up outside, um, put a sort of a little tent up yeah. with some boards and fully PP pp'd up yeah. and people would just literally come through they would unload their bags in a place yeah. into a lorry those bags would then stay for three days in isolation themselves <laughs> yeah. sort of thing um and it was all very safe but we received some amazing donations for wow. our charity shops which are now back open yeah so have some great stock really in stock yes yeah. go visit business <laughs> <laughs> uh, i suppose we need to touch on it because it must be difficult at times you know the service provided is hospice care and so and we've all lost people or know people mm. that have you know passed away through mm. cancer and other illnesses and and needed the support of a hospice in in that process so what is the hardest thing about working within the sort of hospice care sector and what's the thing you enjoy the most? <laughs> um, I think the hardest thing is time. Because our nurses have to have the time to spend with patients. Our counsellors have to have the time to spend with patients. As do our specialist physiotherapists. And there is always a lack of time in anyone's world. Whether you're yeah. in business or in charity. And certainly for me I feel time challenged a lot. Because there's so much that we could do. Mm. And there are so many gaps out there. And it, for us, it's working in partnership and collaboration with the other hospices in the area and with the NHS and with Dorset Healthcare to make sure that the time that we are spending is the best time. We, get, we, we are giving the most that we can to the people who need us most. And that's the bit that keeps me awake at night, really. Could we okay. do more? Could we do more? Could we do more? Sometimes I feel that if there were two of me or three fundraisers more or more nurses or whatever, we'd be, we, well, we would, we'd be able to do more, but there's not enough money to yeah. do that. So it's a balance. Yeah, it's that balancing act. You can't overcommit, but yes. seeing people that need support, yes. you want to commit. Yes. And it, yeah, that must be difficult. And the thing you enjoy the most about working in the sector? The thing I love about working in the charity sector, and I mean love because if I didn't love it, I would do something else, um, is that every day is different. I've been doing this now since I was 24, and I'm 52. <laughs> um, and I've never had, never had a day that's been the same, ever. And the most brilliant moments are when you you know I was just well three weeks ago um, I was out in the car park talking to, to somebody and I saw a lady sat in the car and I said to her are you okay you know you, you're are you waiting for someone and she said yes I am I'm waiting for my husband who's a cancer patient who's having lymphedema with you lymphedema treatment in your clinic and I said oh can I get you a cup of tea or something and she said actually that would be lovely it was quite a warm day so I went in, made her a cup of tea, brought it back out to her in her car, um, and I said, so, you know, how, how are things? And she said, um, it's wonderful what you're doing for my husband. 
I can't tell you what a difference it's made to him, especially the fact that you've been able to continue helping him even through the pandemic. And last week, he was able to put his wedding ring back on, which was the first time he'd done that in over a year after his cancer treatment. And that, to me, made my day. Amazing. It was just the most... She started to cry. I felt a bit... I feel a bit emotional now. It was just because, you know, I didn't directly help that to happen. But the organisation as itself has made her life and her husband's life happier and made an illness that he's got more bearable. Yeah. And I think that if if I could spend, you know, all of my life to help one patient or five minutes, whichever, I know that I'll have done a good thing and the people that work here have. And and that's what drives me. Wow, hairs on the back of my neck are standing up because sometimes it is in life, isn't it? It's those small things. Yeah. You know, somebody being allowed to put their wedding ring back on yeah. that can make a huge difference to somebody that is struggling yeah. and suffering in life at that moment in time. And you can you can help and make that happen. I suppose this is quite a big question. I suppose working as you have with the kind of organisations you've had, you must have been in the presence of many of people that are coming to the end of their lives. Yes. You know, that's. I suppose when you reflect on it, what important lessons and wisdoms have you gained from that experience, Claire? Um. I think the thing that I've learned the most is that every single one of us is different. Mm. And the important thing for any organisational charity who is privileged to be in the position to help people at their end of life is to listen to what matters to them. I've been in room, a room with people who are about to die and they said they just like to smell fresh oysters. Right. that they'd like to taste cooked scallops, yeah. that they want to stroke a hedgehog, yeah. um, that they'd like to sit on a Harley Davidson. Um, and those are, the, those are the ones I can talk about easily. Yeah. Um, and we are in a position to make that happen. Um, and it is hard, and you never get used to it. No. But... A good death is something that we should all aspire mm -hmm. to. And if we can make that death a bit better, then that's that's what we're here to do. Mm. And what's really interesting, Warren, is, you know, I've given talks, you know, a few talks of my time to groups of people. And quite often I say to people, you know, um, how many birthday parties have you, you know, ever organised? Have you ever organised a birthday party? Have you ever organised a business meeting? Yeah. Have you ever organised a holiday? And, oh, yes, you know, most people in the room will have done that. Um, you know, what have you planned for? And then I say to people, and have you planned for your death? Mm. And so few people do. It's not something we stop and think about. Do we? And I it think isn't. the British, in, in a way, somebody said it to me the day, we don't deal with death and grief. No. As a nation, as a, as a culture very well in this country. But what's the one thing that is going to happen to you after birth? Mm. And we spend so much time planning the things that we want to do. And actually planning a good death is part of what Lewis Manning Hospice Care can, can do for families and people. And it takes away so much pain. Yeah. Not all of it by any means. 
But knowing that um, your loved one knows what they, you know what they want. I mean, I was, I was talking to somebody several years ago who said, um, was distraught because she planned her husband's death, they planned the funeral, and then two weeks later she'd found a list of what he wanted to happen in one of his books, in his bookcase. And nothing that she provided was the same as what his wishes were. And that was really, really distressing. That's why we were helping her, because that's what was so distressing. If we can plan, um, you know, advanced care planning um, for people who are coming towards the end of life, then it can really help the family as well as that person know that, okay, that's done. We don't have to think about that anymore. I can carry on stroking hedgehogs or eating scallops. (laughs) Scallops and smelling oysters. Mm. Yeah, okay. Thank you. I, I, yeah, I just wanted to touch on that because I think there is so many lessons to learn, isn't mm. there, from people Absolutely. going through that and families going through their ex- those experiences. Um, where, some sort of more personal questions maybe now, but where do you find your own inspiration? Well, that's a really difficult one. Um, I think that my father was a businessman and he certainly influenced me. Both my parents okay. are dead now. They're both from Dorset, yeah. as as were their parents. And I've always loved this county. I haven't lived in this county, but I've always loved it. And it was always the county that I wanted to come back and do my last good thing in, if you like. Okay. Um, so this was kind of perfect for me to be able to come back to Dorset wow. and, 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 and help a charity that deserved yeah. to be there um, and to be helping people. Um, and I think my inspiration, I get a lot of inspiration from my children. Yeah. Um, I've got four children, um, two of whom are my natural children and two of whom were my godchildren okay. until one of my best friends sadly died at 40 of a brain hemorrhage. Um, and then as godmum, that's what you do, isn't yeah, it? Um, so um, I think, yeah, when I look at them and I look at everything that they've been through, certainly over the last 18 months and how they've dealt with it, um, they are inspirational young people because I think the, the pandemic's affected them so much um, and not everybody will have got through it well but they're giving it their best shot and yeah. I find that quite inspirational. Okay. Yeah, and it is isn't it? how people have adapted and yeah, that generation, the younger generation how they're having to adapt and will need to through their lives. But yeah, great place to source inspiration but I suppose that leads on to a question is, you know, you are ambitious you do work away from home. Mm. How has sort of being ambitious, being a leader in you know the charity sector, affected your personal life? Well, my children have we're all going off to university, or three of them. One's back from uni, and he's got his own house now. Yeah. Um, and the other three um were off at university um last September. So that gave me a little bit of extra time. Although I'm also, I was also a trustee of another charity, I'm a UK-wide charity, and I also volunteer at the local rugby club. Okay. Um, so how's it affected my personal life? My kids are so supportive of what I do because they've seen death as well. Yeah. They're grandparents and friends. Um, and I think that they truly believe in, 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 in what I do. They help me a lot. Um, and actually, it's quite nice to come down to Dorset um, I come down usually three to four days a week okay. and do what I do here. And then I get to get go home and when my children are back from university, see them yeah. and um, spend time fiddling with rugby balls and, and yeah. um, you know, doing my other stuff. Balance yeah. does exist yeah. in life, I suppose, yeah. and be a mum and do the other yeah. things you love to do and in it, life. It's not very far um, at Gloucestershire to here. And before that, I was working at national charities where I could be in Brighton, London, Belfast, Inverness, Aberdeen, 
So actually, popping down to Dorset is more of a pleasure than anything else. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine it's And, you know, maybe again, we're st- we have touched on it, but, you know, challenging job, challenging role, challenging sector. How do you rejuvenate yourself? Um, well, well, you know, I've done, I've pretty much done Netflix. Okay. Um, <laughs> but seriously, um, I, I think doing the things that I enjoy doing, so helping out at the rugby club and volunteering there. Um, I do a lot of dog walking. We've got um, a, a, a dog called Wilson, who's a black lab, who's fabulous and very naughty. Um, and, you know, taking time for me, I like to read. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, those things that normal everybody else does, really. Great. And I suppose everybody needs a why. Maybe you've probably got, you know, we've probably covered that off as well, because there's clearly, and the listeners will hear it during the course of this conversation, a, a passion and a belief in what you do. But what's your why? Fun. Fun. Yes. Okay. Because we have to have fun in our lives, don't we? Otherwise, it would it it, it would be might be a bit sad. <laughs> um, and 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 having fun and laughing with other people. Yeah. Put me in a room by myself, and that really wouldn't be my wife. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you're definitely a people person. Yes, I'm definitely a people person, and I'm more I, I'm I'm kind of a why not person. Okay. So, how do you deal as a leader when people disappoint you then? Because if it's somebody that wants to have fun, somebody that wants to be around people, clearly you, you're such a supportive personality, I can see that. You know, we've only had a few short conversations and I met up again today, but that's supportive. But how do you deal with when, a situation when you're that type of person, when people do let you down and people do disappoint you? But I, I truly believe that people don't get out of bed and think, let's see what I can mess up today. That's true. Um, so my go-to position, if somebody disappointed me or didn't do what I was expecting them to do in some way, would be to talk to them about what happened. Yeah. Because it may be my fault that I didn't communicate um, or they didn't understand or they didn't have the skills to. Um I truly don't believe anybody gets out of bed wanting to be difficult no. because that would be very, very disappointing. Yeah. Um, and, and, and if faced with that, then, then, then maybe I wouldn't be so happy. Yeah. <laughs> okay, a very honest stance on that. But yeah, uh, I like that inward looking as well as kind of outward looking at the individual and see what you could have done differently in that, yeah. that situation. So I suppose as we start to wrap up the conversation, I always sort of end with this, the last question, it is the Evolve to Succeed podcast. So what is your definition of success, Claire? For me as a person or as for the organisation I work with? For you as a person? To be happy. It comes back to having fun again and just be happy. Be happy, be around kind people. You know, let's face it, we have, if we're lucky, 80 years on the planet, don't we? Yeah. And I don't want to spend those 80 years being sad. And I'm not being flippant when I talk about having fun. I'm talking about spending time with people I love um, and building really good relationships and friendships and doing something that matters to other people that that's that's what makes me happy that would make me feel successful so I was at a funeral on Friday and um, it was it was a real toughie um, because it was somebody that I cared about very much and um, it, 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 it towards the end of the funeral Um, one of the people taking the funeral said she was a blessing and I thought about that all weekend 
And I thought, actually, do you know what? What a tribute to a human being. She was a blessing. So I'm not saying anybody's going to call me a blessing. <laughs> but do you know what? Just to be thought of as somebody who did the right thing would be nice. Brilliant. And had some fun along the way. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Claire, if people want to learn more about you, but importantly also more about Lewis Manning Hospice Care, where can they go? Uh, well, they can pop in and see us. We're on um, just next door to Paul Hospital on Longfleet Road. They can give us a call or certainly go to the Lewis Manning org uk website brilliant thank you Claire. you've been a great guest on the evolve to succeed podcast thank you so much i love that conversation claire's wisdom ambition and positivity is truly inspiring i think it's difficult for any of us who don't work in the care and charity sector to fathom the emotional and financial pressures you work under and to have a leadership role in that environment must be particularly challenging But it's clear to me, as I'm sure it is to you, that Claire was born to fit that role and she performs it brilliantly. There are a lot of standout moments from our conversation, but one I really wanted to touch on was the importance of strong values and culture in an organisation. I thought it was really interesting what Claire said about trying to transport the deep values and compassionate culture at an organisation like Lewis Manning into normal businesses. How we as business owners can learn from those kinder and softer values and how so much of the loyalty we have from our teams boils down to the way in which they are treated as human beings. Again, such amazing wisdom from Claire and something to really think about. Thank you for listening. And if you do want to learn more about Evolve, then please do go to evolvemembers.com. You can register there for our weekly insights and newsletter, as well as learn about the services that we offer at Evolve, including our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, courses for teams, as well as our lovely co-working space in Ashley Crossing Pool. And if you are a business leader in Dorset and Hampshire, then I'm really excited to be able to say that through the Dorset LEP and the Solent LEP, we have some fully funded peer network and peer group programs that we can offer to you. So if you want to learn more, again, go to the website or please call the team. I really do hope you've enjoyed this episode. And if so, please help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing and listening to future episodes. Thank you for listening.